hello and welcome to HCI's Regulation and Quality and Safety of Care podcast. My name is Rosemary Pollard. I am the Marketing Executive at HCI and I'm joined today by John Sweeney, CEO at HCI. As CEO of HCI, John's work focuses on the improvement of quality and safety of care across all healthcare settings. In our podcast today, we will be discussing some of the challenges COVID-19 has created around patient safety and what learnings we can take going forward to support and prioritise patient safety. John, can you start by telling us what you think from speaking with HCI's clients or some of the biggest challenges they faced in responding to the pandemic? Thanks, Rosemary. Well, obviously, there were a lot of challenges. And when we start to think back, uh, March 2020, what occurred, uh, there was really chaos and lack of understanding. And probably when, when we look back and say, well, what, what could have changed or what were the biggest challenges? It was without doubt lack of clarity. No one was really clear what should be happening, what should be the processes, what should we be doing? And it went from a situation where there was very little information uh, coming out to absolute information overload. And then everyone was pumping out guidance and the amount of guidance was changing by the hour. So the providers of care, whether it was in long-term care or acute care or, or, or the community sector, were getting all of this information and trying to understand what should be applied to uh, and what should be understood and how, how that, that application should be met was the number one challenge. And one of the, the first things that they had to do was to, to be able to have a system where they can say, right, how can we put this into practice? How, what, 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 can, what can we do? And that was all good and well when it was within a, a, a setting where care was normal, where there hadn't been an outbreak. But once that outbreak actually occurred, then all 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 bets were off and, and things started to happen in a in a most unusual way and, and an organizational way that, that people weren't used to. The challenge then once the outbreak uh, occurred was a complete loss of control um, and, and not being able to understand how to carry out the care that, that everyone does on a day-to-day basis. And that loss of control was something that that impacted all levels of, of, of service. And what increased that loss of control was then we saw very quickly that the senior management teams getting hit, getting knocked out. And once, as we well know, once we lose that oversight and that governance uh, of the care, uh, then we run run into to the, the difficulties. So to summarize, Rosemary, it was that lack of understanding and lack of clarity at the outset. And that was no one's fault. It was just that this was completely un, unknown territory. And it was then from that lack of information to absolute information overload and trying to collate that and trying to filter out what, what's relevant to us and how are we going to actually make this happen. And then, unfortunately, as, as, as the pandemics expanded uh, and, and COVID got into the, the care environments, it was that loss of control and not being able to, to, to carry out the care in the way that we were use, used to it. And then that linked on to the lack of management, the lack of oversight. And, and really, we were in unknown territory when we were dealing uh, with this pandemic. OK, and so given those challenges, then, could you tell us about the impact COVID-19 has had on the non-COVID patients and the consequences of this for patient safety? 
Yeah. This this rosemary is is going to be a problem that's going to be with us for many years to come. And it is the focus that we've had, obviously, on dealing with with the COVID-19 patients, but the backlog of patients who need uh, scheduled care, uh, who have concerns with regards to their care, but who have put it off. Because understandably, they don't want to go into environments such as hospitals uh, where uh, they, they can possibly catch COVID. So this issue of unidentified patient care needs or a backlog of scheduled care is going to have a huge knock on for a very long time. So that's the obvious one. The obvious one is we now have to get back to, to, to normal care, get back to all of these issues, get back to people questioning their health and understanding that they may have issues. And we can already see the data is, is, is coming out that, that the likes of coronary artery disease is going on unnoticed, the likes of uh, initial cancer diagnosis, they, they're, they're all, all becoming issues. Now, when we, when we look at that and we say, right, well, that's, that's something that we have to look at with regards to the backlog of that type of care. We then also have to consider within the organizations themselves, they've been providing care in, in a different way. And the skill sets of the clinicians um, are, are something that, that are very important to keep uh, being utilized. So the routines and how we actually carry out care and how we do care has varied dramatically. And when we go back where it will be a case that we're in more, more normalized routines, uh, that will take a little bit of time to spin up. And how we communicate and how we integrate and, uh, with, with colleagues is a number one area for patient safety issues. So where that breakdown in communication can occur, where the handover of care, that continuity of care hasn't been occurring for over the last 12 months, this is something we have to get back into. And we're going to see issues in relation to patient safety, in relation to incidents, because we haven't routinely been doing the day-to-day -day care. We've been, we've been in a different mindset and focusing in, an, in a different area. Okay. And do you think having a well-established quality management system in place helped healthcare organisations in managing the challenges around COVID and supporting patient safety? Well, obviously, I'm biased. I'm not going to say no, but it's not just my opinion. Uh, we've spoken to many of our clients who, who are in the thick of this, and they have put a lot of emphasis on the fact that they had a quality management system. And why? Well, what is a quality management system? I mean, the structures within the organization, the governance structures are key so that if some part of the management team or some part of the communication pathway uh, isn't available due to illness or whatever may be the case, that those structures can, can be resilient enough. And resilient is a good word around the quality management systems so that they can utilize other pathways. They can make sure that their teams and their committees come together and discuss these issues. And those that don't have those structures uh, failed and, and found it really difficult that they were reliant on one-to-one -one, uh, communication. I mean, the, the next part of a quality management system are, are defining the processes. So the organizations that had good healthcare processes, although they changed, they were able to communicate that. They were able to, to look at what are our processes now? What points do we need to change on? And how can we how can we communicate that and educate that? So the organizations with, with good quality management systems were used to dealing with this. We're used to saying, this is our process. This is our change control. This is how we now need to do it. 
this is how we need to educate them and 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 push it out there this the healthcare organizations that didn't have that were more how we get it out there how we communicate what is our process now what do we need to change so that huge variability and variability leads to two issues and the final part of any good quality management system and this one really came into play was outcome measurement so how do we know uh, about the, the level of, of care that we're providing, the activity levels, the quality, the incidents, uh, the issues that are occurring. Now, a lot of the good quality management systems in healthcare, they're looking at electronic data, they're looking at their KPIs, they're looking at their audit data, they're looking at their incident data. And again, and particularly if you're not able to, to do that directly, you're not boots on the ground within a healthcare organization, you are so reliant on that information. You're so reliant on that health data. And if you have a good quality management system and you can see where the incidents are increasing, where the activity levels are going down, where the problems are occurring, well, then you can you can react to it in, in a better manner. So in a word, why the, the organizations with good quality management systems um, work better than those that didn't was resilience, because they were used to dealing with things in a structure, but also change control. So because they had those, those clarity of structure, clarity of process, clarity of outcome measurements before COVID, it was, it was a, an easier scenario to, to adapt to those changes and embed those changes quicker. Okay, so it's very clear that the quality management system definitely supports healthcare organisations in taking a proactive approach to managing their response to COVID-19. We might talk about telehealth for a moment. The ECRI recently published their top 10 patient safety concerns for 2021, many which link directly to COVID-19. Interestingly, they include telehealth workflow challenges as number six on this list. And we know telehealth has increased fivefold since March. John, could you discuss some of the potential patient safety issues with telehealth um, having evolved so quickly and provide some strategies telehealth providers should implement to support patient safety? Well, telehealth is, is really one of the big changes that, that we've seen as a result of uh, the, the pandemic. And going back to your question earlier on, Rosemary, about patient safety issues and, uh, and, and with non-COVID patients, I think that where the telehealth has become a wonderful opportunity to really spread out uh, healthcare uh, communication processes, bring healthcare into our home, um, it also has resulted in some significant concerns with regards to patient safety issues. And the number one issue in telehealth, and we've ha luckily been, been able to work with, with some telehealth organizations on this, is clinical governance and oversight. How are we assuring that the care is appropriate? How are we assuring that there's follow-up? How are we assuring that those systems are there to communicate back to the, the GP or, or whoever may be, be occurring? And unfortunately, telehealth because it was ramped up in so many cases very very quickly it hasn't the infrastructure built it hasn't the clinical governance and oversight it hasn't the defined processes and this leads to uh, issues it leads to breakdowns in communication it leads to uh, inappropriate care or, or, or decision making and that is a problem and and where telehealth works well is where they have that understanding that telehealth is a delivery mechanism. You need a quality management and a patient management, a patient safety management system in telehealth, just as you would in a hospital, just as you would in a nursing home. 
and it is not it is not the same as direct care it has other challenges other risks that are associated and lack of understanding of the the true communication withholding information breakdowns in communication never mind when we start getting into the technology aspects of it the data protection aspects of it so telehealth is a fantastic opportunity for us in, in healthcare but it is also a significant and not surprisingly in the top 10 patient safety concerns because the infrastructure and the quality management systems have not been embedded. What would I recommend to those who are now using telehealth? Well, when they get an opportunity and it's, it's a big demand to ask is to, to catch their breath, to take a step back and say, right, this is now our service. What standards should we have in place? What quality management systems should we have in place? What clinical governance structures should we have? What are the processes we need to ensure that everyone is clear on, that everyone has an understanding of how we're going to deliver this care? When things go wrong, how is it going to work? How do we manage our risk? And the risk in telehealth is different than the, the risk in direct care. Um, we're lucky. Obviously, there have been a good bit of work uh, coming out before this. Uh, there are the international standards, 13131 and 2014 standards, that provide a framework and a very good framework for how telehealth should use. And we'd always recommend to organizations to review their services, their telehealth services, against those standards. And we've now carried it out for a good few organizations uh, against those. And unfortunately, the gaps are massive against what is best practice. It's also good to see the likes of the Irish Medical Council have now provided uh, additional guidelines on telehealth and the National Institute for Clinical Excellence in the UK has additional uh, guidance on telehealth. So the number one recommendation is build your quality management system. If your telehealth is now part of your service, it will probably be continually part of your service. And if you have a quality management system, expand it into that ask the questions, ask what the risks are, look at what the best practice standards are saying. If this is a completely new service, well, then you need to build your quality and safety management system and the frameworks are already there. Okay, thanks, John. Telehealth is definitely an area to watch and I'm sure it will continue to grow. Providers definitely need to take the time to examine their services and make sure they have a well-functioning and best practice quality management system in place. In terms of the wider healthcare system, then, John, what do you think are the biggest patient safety lessons learned from 2020? Do you think there are particular areas the government should prioritise after COVID-19? Yeah, it's a good question, Rosemary. Um, obviously, and, and, and from what I've said before, I, I strongly feel that the, the quality management and the safety management systems uh, have been critical uh, within organizations and we now talk about infection prevention and control you know uh, like we do about how's the weather um, and this infection and prevention control is, is part of an overall quality management system and there's been a huge amount of work and focus done on that and we need to to maintain that energy and expand it because it's not just about infection control it's about medication management it's about care assessments about care delivery and getting those quality management systems to function and getting them to incorporate whatever, what are aspects of risk management, what are aspects of control? How do we have system and oversight? And that oversight and utilizing more information management systems to get that oversight, not being reliant on the good individuals on the ground as managers 
to provide that 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 quality assurance of care, but to also use the quantitative data to also pull that information. So that oversight and control and the building in of the quality and safety management systems is core. Now, from a government side of it, without doubt, regulation has been beneficial. Now, it started off, we look at the nursing homes, there was a difficulty, there was a breakdown, it was unclear where regulation should come in and, 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 and how it should function. But when it did kick in, what regulation gave the opportunity to do was to implement system-wide changes very rapidly. So that HICWA, the Health Information Quality Authority, was able to enforce change, enforce best practice in certain areas where the legislation allowed. In other areas, it could only give guidance. And we really need to consider, and it's been on the books for a long time under the Patient Safety Licensing Bill, we really need to consider that regulation for all of the health system is required. Um, and it is not just about having Big Brother, it's about having the authority to implement very specific quality and safety changes rather than just providing guidance. And I think we're going to see regulation increase significantly and, and very much for the better, I would hope, uh, over the next number of years. Okay. Um, and the delivery of healthcare and the way it is practiced has changed because of COVID. What changes do you think should or would you like to see become permanent? Well, I think that we've, we've touched on the telehealth. I think that's going to be a significant change to the way we deliver. And we see more and more uh, that that approach of, you know, care in the home and, and uh, et cetera. And I think that's that's going to be important. That's going to bring challenges with it. And we, we, we've talked about that. But also, I think the organizations realize that we have to have all of these these systems. We have to have information. We have to have an understanding. and that has to be embedded in, in, in some form of regulation uh, and oversight, both at a public level and a private level. So I think that the world of healthcare is, is going to change dramatically. I would hope for the better. With every massive challenge comes change. Um, and I think, I think we're going to see a lot of that over the next number of years. And I think we're going to look again, and I mentioned the word resilience, and I talk about risk management and getting those systems, those quality systems and safety systems built in. Okay. And finally, John, what piece of advice would you give to health and social care organisations looking to build sustainable quality and safety management systems to protect patients and service users into the future? Number one, have a quality and safety management system because we can't take that for granted. And there are many, many providers of care in Ireland who do not have a quality and safety management system. They do things well because they have good people. And that is different than having a structure, having the structures and the clinical governance structures and the oversight, the, the evidence-based best practice processes embedded in the oversight. So that's that's number one. And no, number two is that look to what is best practice. There has been so much work done. And I mentioned the ISO standards in telehealth. We have the National Safer Better Healthcare Standards for, for really all aspects in, in healthcare. Look at the frameworks. What can we do? How can we embed best practice within the organization? And the final phrase that I, I always leave people with is local ownership, corporate accountability. Build systems that people can use at the most local level, in a ward level, in a, in a nursing home level, that are practical, that make life easier for them to, to provide the care that they want. 
and use those systems to be able to extrapolate information, to ex extract that data that will also give an oversight, be it at the board level or governance level, whatever level, so that we can actually see when things are going well and when things are not going so well and where, where we can react to them. So I think that is what really brings that sustainability, that local ownership and that corporate accountability. Okay, John, thank you so much for providing that interesting overview on the challenges and the learnings around patient safety during the last 12 months. If anyone would like any further information, please contact HCI. Thanks for listening.